Well, good morning. How are you? How many brought their Bibles this morning? How many can't see in the dark? That's one of the reasons. If you have your phone with you and you've got a Bible app on it, open it up to Genesis chapter 1. A couple of things before we start. I just wanted to announce that in April of 2022, Joyce and I are taking another group to Israel. And if you're interested, there are brochures coming. And how many know it would be great when this pandemic is over and we can all get back to life? There have been some brand new discoveries in Israel, and I think it's going to be wonderful for us to be there. Well, we're going to continue talking about spiritual conflict. And can I just let you know that even as you are sitting here and as I'm speaking this morning, there is a war going on right now in your mind, in your heart, in your emotions, because the enemy does not want us to be conformed to the image of Christ and to grow up in God in the way that God intended for us to grow. And so he pushes back. He does things in us to create doubt and uncertainty. And as we go through this morning, I just want you to know I have way too much material. That's what happens to me when I, you lock me up for the summer, and then you finally let me go for a night. Uh, just there's so much stuff. But we're saying hello to everyone that's on Zoom today. Welcome. Uh, you're in your jammies. I can see you, and you're having your coffee. Uh, make sure you open your Bible, too. And so Genesis is the foundation stone, the building blocks for what God is doing in the earth and throughout all of creation. And when we look at Genesis 1 and 2 and we see this foundation, we understand that God said it's very good. Everybody say that with me, very good. God's intent in the earth is for it to be very good. And so Genesis 1 and 2 reveals an issue that faces all of humanity, and this is this conflict, this spiritual conflict. And as Pastor Jason has said, um, it's one of those things that's in the midst of the world, and it's not imaginary. It's very, very real, and we've got to come to terms with it. We've learned, I think, growing up, that most of us can function in the natural things of daily life pretty well. We have been trained to live in the world, and we know how to do that. But when we step into the things of the kingdom, we have to be trained how to function in the kingdom, and it's totally different. You can have people that are very well-versed in life and uh, maybe CEOs of companies and very responsible people, and when they become followers of Jesus, they start off just as babies like the rest of us. And we have to then grow up in our understanding of what God is expecting of all of us. And so I appreciate this series that Pastor Jason is doing, and I appreciate Pastor Terry last week beginning and kicking it off, and we're going to continue it today. And so last week we looked at salvation and freedom, two things that God is doing in our hearts and in our lives and in the lives of many, that uh, he is always at work seeking to draw men and women to himself. He's always at work seeking to bring us freedom in every area of our heart and of our life. And uh, I remember many years ago, there's an expression that Robert Wilson said, we all see only what we are trained to see. And I was on a missions trip, and we were in an unnamed country, 
and I invited an RCMP officer to come with me. And as we were walking down the street, I said to him, show me what you are seeing that I can't see. Because you're trained to see things that the average person just doesn't even notice. And he started pointing out things, and I thought, man, I am just a neophyte when it comes to observing things that are going on around me. But he's trained to see it. So his eye is drawn to things that my eye wouldn't be drawn to. And so in your life and in my life, when you are trained, you will see things now that you don't see. And you'll be wiser for it, and you'll be able to cooperate more with the Lord. Jesus said these words one time, my word is spirit, and my word is life. And that's why when you read God's word, or you hear it being spoken, or you hear it in song, something starts to happen on the inside of you. It is like breath to our spirit. It creates a process of life inside of us that's spiritual. So Jesus says, my word is spirit and my word is life. Timothy says to us regarding this thing of training, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or the woman may be complete equipped for every good work. Good creation, good earth, good works sets us apart from everyone else and god is at work in the midst of us right now so if you have your bible turn to genesis 1 and we're going to go through genesis 1 and genesis 2 very quickly but i'll give you the option to go ahead and start reading it there was a catholic priest from austria who was a philosopher and also a social critic and he was asked about this whole issue of how do you change a culture? And he said, if you want to change a society or a culture, then you have to tell an alternative story. We have the right story, but what happens to our listeners if we're telling that story the wrong way? Or if we're leaving out parts that they're not able then to connect the dots? So it's essential for us to know the foundation stones of the story and to begin to build on that story in such a way as people grasp the goodness of God, the reality of his creation, the divine order that he has set in place, and then the clear, clear understanding of Scripture that there is an enemy that we have to deal with. How many know that no matter who you are in life, that everybody struggles? There's always something that we're going through and that life is messy. Have you noticed that? Did you make your bed this morning before you left? Life is messy. And as human beings, we're conflicted by the messiness of life and we try to make sense out of it and we try to get order out of it. So there are four words that we use in this and that is that everyone wants to understand origins. Where do we come from? Why are we here? What is this all about? Origins are really important. And then we need to know about meaning. Does my life have meaning? Does it have purpose? What am I doing with the life that God has given to me in the time that I have? And then there's one called morality. And how many know there's been a huge spiritual war going on in the issue of morality, particularly in first world countries, in Western countries? 
This one has really struck hard at the hearts and lives of every one of us. And then the bottom line is, when I get to the end of my life, what about destiny? So everybody say it with me. Origins, meaning, morality, destiny. Those are the four key areas, and under each one of them, there's a whole range of, of questions that we can ask. And everyone's trying to give us answers to these important topics. Even the God of heaven and earth, though his word never changes. And as we study his word and allow our minds to be renewed, we're going to find out what does he say about orange, what does he say about meaning, what does he say about morality, and what does he say about destiny. And what that does, that's against spirit and life, and it enables you to know and to grasp the goodness of God from the beginning of your life to the close of your physical life. And then you step into eternity and the processes of God continue on. So when we are talking to someone and we're listening to what they're saying, it's going to be very easy for us to start understanding how they understand life and the purpose of life. When you ask someone a particular question about something, they'll give you what they believe about that subject. And so we can hear things when people are talking about where their hearts are at, where their understanding is at. And that's why when Jesus talks to us about discipleship, he says, you'll know my disciples by the way they love each other, serve each other, care for one another. When Pastor Karen came on and she was talking about saying yes, if you studied the early church, it wasn't about being a spectator. It was about everyone was engaged in some form of service that the gospel might go forth and the purposes of God might make a difference, not only in the sheep shelter, but in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in their communities, on their job, in their school, wherever they go. They are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And so for a lot of us, spiritual warfare has come and shut us down, made us feel insecure, that we're not confident to share. But I think by the time this series is over, all of those things are going to be demolished in your heart, and you're going to have great confidence in God to be able to share the story in a proper way. An important question is followers of Jesus have the right story, but what if we tell the story in a wrong way? When we share the story, we need to be able to do so that people can connect the dots. And our story isn't compelling when we first discover in our conversation with people that, hey, you're a sinner, and you're lost, and you're going to hell when you die. How I many know that doesn't win friends and influence people? It may be true in that person's life, but we're starting partway in the story. And that's the same as if you're watching a movie, and you come in maybe 20 minutes into the story, and what do you start doing? Who's that character? What's the plot? Why is this going like that? Because you don't know. But if you sit down at the beginning of a story or read a book from beginning to end, you follow a pattern. And as you follow that pattern, the story then makes sense, and you can engage the story. So when we're talking with people, we really need to learn to listen to where they're at so that we can begin to build a bridge of understanding in their hearts and lives. And as we go through this whole issue of the creation process in 
Genesis 1 and 2, then we're going to see how those foundation stones are laid so that we can get in next week to chapter 3 and see what really happens in the fall of man. But you know as well as I do, we live in Canada, and we're very nice people. But if you mention sin or you mention the Bible in a conversation, you'll notice people smirk. It's almost like, "Uh uh-oh, I've got someone who believes in fairy tales. They have this kind of reaction. But how many know that's spiritual warfare going on? That's a conflict between truth and error, between what is natural and what is spiritual, what is just for this life and what's eternal. You and I have embraced Jesus Christ, and as we walk with him, we have an eternal perspective right now in our lives. And so when we go back to the Bible, we do so because we want clarity in the midst of so much cultural confusion, and there's lots of confusion out there. When we study the plan of God, I've said it many times, five words can help you outline the whole Bible. God, man, Jesus, cross, resurrection. That's called the story of reality. How the world begins, how the world ends, and everything important that happens in between. And you and I will know that when we start understanding that, when we're talking to someone, we can slot that conversation into that one of those areas and help the people as they are trying to wrestle with the confusion of all the different voices and all the different philosophies that they're running into on a day-to-day basis. So let's start at the beginning. Let's see what God is doing and help us grasp the reality of all of this. I want you to think about your own story first. It doesn't start at your birth or even at your conception. Your story's tied to two other people's story. And that story might have been a love story, an adoption, a tragedy, a horror, but there's no such thing as a self-made story. We are all interconnected as human beings, even if you were a test tube baby. There's a connection that goes on here between male and female producing a new life. More on that in a a few moments. So Genesis is the beginning of all that is good. And Genesis 1-1 is where we start. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so in the beginning, we measure that by time. God created. He's the eternal I am before time. Then We talk about the heavens, the space. We talk about the earth, matter. All of these things can be measured. In verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Bible is one of those books that lets us know what God wants us to know, and what he doesn't want us to know is not stated. Because it's about a redemption story. It's not about science. It's not about philosophy. It's not about a a, a myriad of things. It is his story of redemption, and he wants us to understand certain aspects of it. So let's remember, here's God in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth, 
But when we look at the earth, it's void, it's got no form, and it's dark. And so the question is, for how long? Bible doesn't say. And that's where sometimes you'll hear scientists say, well, we believe the earth's about 13 million years old or billion years old. They can state any number they want. The Bible is not clear on how old the earth really is. Verse 2 says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Think about it. All God has to do is speak. Remember, my word is what? Spirit and life. We see it in the ministry of Jesus. He speaks the word, and eyes open up. Limbs are healed. Bodies come out of the grave. There's something profound about another dimension. Even though man can measure so many things, like space and time and matter, what he can't measure is the moving of the Spirit of God. That is a dimension that's beyond the physical. It's beyond the ability of man to put in a box somewhere. And so in the midst of all of this void and this darkness, and God starts the process of creation by saying, let there be light, the Spirit of God begins to move, and something starts to happen on this globe that we call earth today. When God says, let there be light, in verse 3, that's the Shekinah. You look at verse 3, and it isn't until the fourth day where you see God making the sun and the moon to reflect light upon the earth and to give us an ability to understand times and seasons. But there's something about the Shekinah, the glory, the majesty, the ever-presentness of God himself as light in the whole of his creation. And then when he speaks it out, the light was good, and God separates the light from the darkness. And then God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. You read that in chapter 1, and you see a, an order that's divine, and you go to Revelation 22, and you see another order, a new heaven, new earth, where there is no darkness whatsoever. There's only light, and it's because he's the light. These are interesting concepts that we have from God's word that show us there's a whole spiritual dimension going on all the time around us, and God is at work, but also his, his emiss, what is the word? Not just enemy, but his adversary is at work. And so you notice in this opening how God measures the day. It starts in the evening at sundown until sundown the next day. We do it from midnight to midnight. God's word is in the evening. That's the start of a new day. And the Jews picked up on that later on. And so God does this creative process and goes through the days one through seven, light and atmosphere and ground and sun and birds and creatures and animals and the human life itself. And then he finally says on the seventh day, I'm going to rest. Now tuck this truth in your heart. God says at the end of the sixth day, it is finished. What is he saying? I don't need to do anything more. The created order is set in motion now. 
And it's going to accomplish everything that I have determined for it to accomplish. It is complete. Get that in your heart. Everything is complete. Even the realization of the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, there are no surprises to God. He doesn't have to change things up because of political leaders or different movements that go on on the earth. He has already finished his work, and on the seventh day, he rested from that process. And even though he rested from that process, he changed it up now to be able to work in the heart of every human being and draw them to himself. But the whole created order is already set in motion. Did you know that Virgin Atlantic is going to go off into space today for a little bit? Why? Because they can trust the laws of God, that what he set in motion in Genesis is just as real today in the 21st century. His laws can be absolutely trusted. That's the confidence we have in him. So when he says it's complete, it's finished, everything is done, and what happened at the cross when Jesus died? What did he say on the cross? It is finished. Now understand this. When he said it is finished, our salvation was complete. We do not have to add anything to it. It is complete in Jesus Christ. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift that God gives to us by grace through faith. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Why? Because it's complete. And so the same as creation, we have the same thing with salvation. When God says something is complete and something is finished, it's finished. You and I cannot add anything to it. All we do is we receive it, and we rest in it. And on the seventh day, when God rested, he said, I'm going to call this day Sabbath. It's a day that is going to be marked out as holy, and it's going to be a day where you change up your work to be able to enjoy my presence in a way that you couldn't during the week because you were busy working. That's a normal part of our life. We work, all of us. And so God establishes this great expanse of the heavens. He separates day from night. He separates signs and seasons, days and years, and something starts unfolding. The pinnacle of his creation, though, is not matter. It's a human life. Do you know how precious you are to him? He loves you with an everlasting love. You are the object of his affection, of his salvation, of his creation. Everything that God has done in creation is for humanity to enjoy, for humanity to flourish, for humanity to fully grasp the magnitude of the God that we serve and love who calls himself our Father, and that we're his children. That's the kind of intimacy and love relationship that God wants to have. So verse 26, let us make man. When God's talking here, his name is Elohim. And Elohim is a plural word. 
in the Hebrew. Let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, including mosquitoes. Right? So God creates man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Verse 30 tells us that we have dominion. We have the ability then to steward the earth that God has entrusted to us. God would also cause this earth to be fully filled with insects and birds and animals, and they also would have life inside of them, but life that would be very different from human life. When you look at the pattern of all of creation and you see the animal kingdom and you see that they live by air and they breathe and they eat and they do the same things we do, that they are living beings, but there's something missing in the animal kingdom. And that is the ability to have spirit-to-spirit -spirit communion with God. We are the pinnacle of creation. Why? Because we can open our hearts to him, and he can open his heart to us, and we can have communion. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden, it calls the sweetness of fellowship in the cool of the day. He would come to meet with them, and that's what worship is. That's what prayer is. That's what communion is every day when you're talking to the Lord in the context of everyday things that you do. You're changing your baby's diaper. You're parking your car. You're you can commune with God. Animals can't do that. As wonderful as they are, they can't do that. And so even though they share life with us on the planet, their intent and their purpose is also to serve humanity. And so in verse 31, God saw everything he made and said it was good, and there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. And all God had created was good in his eyes. It was complete. He didn't need to do anything else, and so he rests. The heaven and earth are finished. God blesses the seventh day, calls it the Sabbath, and says, now learn to cease and rest from your work and enjoy growing in your spiritual life. Take time to reflect. Take time to process what you've been going through. Take time to listen. Take time to hear him. Take time to grow in your relationship with him. And you know, when you look at Sabbath, when God does that in Genesis, that's long before the Jews were ever a people group. So this isn't restricted to Jewish people. This is for every single human being on the planet. The Sabbath is his gift to the whole of humanity so that we don't live stressed out so that we can learn to receive his peace and rest in his peace. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify or set you apart completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to go through a couple of things here, and I hope that you're going to see just how incredible God really is. In Genesis 2 and verse 7, when God formed the man of dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man then became a living creature. 
So out of the dust of the earth, that's what Adam means, it's from the dust, he creates a physical body, but it's still not alive until God breathes the breath of life into Adam and he becomes a living creature. The beautiful part of all of that is that Adam suddenly becomes conscious, becomes aware. He is a physical being who has a soul, but is now spiritually tuned in to God. So he has relationship with God. His spirit is alive. It's intimate with God. It's the kind of relationship now that he enjoys that God wants for you. Because remember, creation is complete and nothing changes no matter how long the ages go that the earth will be around. It will be the same process all the time. In the very beginning, it was conforming Adam to the image and likeness of God. Next week, we'll look at what happens when it gets deformed. But then for us as followers of Jesus, Romans 8 says, we are daily being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What is that? That's a reset that goes on in our hearts and lives every day, and that's where spiritual conflict comes. The enemy wants to disrupt the process of your life being conformed to the image of Christ. And so when we see Adam from dust becoming a living being, relating to God, we see what it is that God's intent was all the time. And so in verse 9, God plants a garden in Eden, and he puts the man there. And verse 9 continues on, And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight, good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, but also a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Evil's unknown to Adam at that point but known to God. Deuteronomy 29, 29 is a favorite verse. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us, to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Scripture is telling us that what he needs us to know, he shares with us. No more, no less. He knows what we don't know, therefore he warns Adam and says, don't partake. Now, Eve's not even around yet. She's coming, but she's not around yet. So the mandate from God to Adam is, this is all yours to enjoy. You're welcome to the whole thing, but this one tree, don't eat from it. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. If you do, you'll die. Adam has no idea what that means. And there are times in our lives we have no idea what God's saying. He just says to us, obey. Let my word guide your life. Trust me. And that's called faith. And so God puts Adam in the garden to cultivate it, to steward it. And uh, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, here's what you're not to do. And Adam realizes, okay, this is what I need to do. And so next week... In the story, so when you're talking to people about where human beings have come from, what the earth is all about, that's this issue of origins, this is meaning. Then we get into morality, and that's the whole concept of obeying or disobeying God. And it's clear. 
And so in Luke chapter 10, we saw it a little while ago in one of the songs, and that is Jesus said, I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. That doesn't make sense unless you know Isaiah chapter 14 that teaches us about Lucifer's role in heaven before creation. Because how does he end up in the garden tempting Eve and Adam? And then in Ezekiel 28, his role in heaven as the anointed cherub. And then at the very end of Ezekiel 28, says your heart was proud because of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And so in the story, in comes this enemy of God, in comes this spiritual conflict that begins to push against the object of God's greatest affection, which is Adam and Eve. And so in the ministry of Jesus, for everybody who comes to Israel with us, one of my favorite places is Caesarea Philippi. Jesus takes his disciples from his home base at Capernaum, and they walk almost a day north to this area called Caesarea Philippi. It is in the tribe of Dan, the region where Dan was. It's Baal worship. It's dark. It's the worst place you could ever want to take anybody in that day, and yet Jesus takes them there. And they get to this shrine, and as they are there, it's a massive rock face. And Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And can I let you in on a secret? When Jesus asks you a question, he already knows the answer. What's he trying to do? He's trying to draw you out. So when he says to the disciples, who are people saying that I am? And they brought in all kinds of examples of who the people were saying. And then Jesus looks into their eyes and says, who do you say that I am? And in the midst of this darkness, this oppressive place, this place you wouldn't even want to go on your own, Father opens Peter's heart and says, this is my son. And Peter says, Jesus, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, Peter, but my Father who is in heaven. Once again, we go from this natural realm of everything going on around us to suddenly we're in the spiritual realm, this, this other dimension of life that a lot of people will poo-hoo, but it exists. And so in that moment, Peter is so enamored. And you and I know how it works. As soon as you have a great victory in God and you enjoy the presence of God and what he's doing, the enemy will attack to try to take away and steal some of that joy that you have. Then Jesus says, we've got to turn now. We've got to go to Jerusalem because I'm going to die on a cross. And Peter rails at him and says, you can't do that. And Jesus looks at Peter again, but he looks just a little bit above Peter's head to the enemy that's trying to work through Peter and he says these words, get behind me, Satan. That's spiritual eyes, spiritual perception, trained to see the reality of the spiritual world, and then able to deal with it in an instant. Could you imagine how Peter felt at that moment? 
How could I hear from God in one minute so clearly and be deceived so quickly? We need to stay sensitive and focused on what God is doing in our hearts and our lives. We need to be trained to see the spiritual conflicts that are going on all around us every single day. And so in chapter 2 and verse 18, God knows that Adam's all alone amidst the animals, and we know how that worked. God brings an animal to Adam, and he goes, giraffe, that's its name. Monkey, that's its name. Elephant, that's its name. Crocodile, that's its name. And then God brings Eve to Adam. And what does he name her? Whoa. God says, I'll make you a helper perfectly suited to you. Take your hands and do this with me. Two halves makes one whole. And God's going to do something very, very unique in this moment. And God says, it's not good that man's alone. I'm going to make him a helper fit for him. And so the very first anesthetic surgery takes place. And God puts Adam to sleep. And just as he had taken dust of the earth, and breathed into it and created a man. Now he takes a rib out of man and he creates a woman. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. Ladies, this one's for you. Sometimes we ask the question, why did God make man first? Well, when he made man first, he said to himself, I can do better than that. And so then he made a woman. And all the ladies said, amen. When God takes this rib out of Adam's side, he makes a woman and he brings her to Adam. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In Hebrew, a female is isha, isha and a male is ish. Those are the terms that are used for a male and a female. The word ending in ah means out of. So ish ah means out of man. And in God's process, this is important because we need to understand that Eve is a human being, not an animal like Adam has been naming, but she has come out of man. And now she has an affection for him. So when you look in our culture with origins, meaning, morality, when you look at marriage in God's eyes, it's introduced as a union between Ish and Isha, between a male and a female becoming one flesh again, just as we were in Adam. It helps us understand that God knows we're spiritually and organically connected together, and human beings, even though they are bonded to their parents when they're growing up, reach a point where they fall in love with someone, and now they're going to be bonded to their spouse. It's the way God intended it. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. Humanity came from one flesh, from Adam. 
Male and female is how he created the human race. And marriage unites the male with the female in an essential act that the one flesh principle is once again restored. A wife, Isha, cannot be anything but a woman. Her title means woman out of man, and man did not come from man. Eve came out of man, and the rest is God's story of marriage, multiplication, and ministry. The two halves becoming one. And so all over the world right now, there's great confusion in this area, and that's where spiritual conflict comes in. Why? Because it's at the core of relationship. And the ultimate relationship is you and I in our relationship to God. And then he puts us in relationship with one another. And when he does that, we are spiritually, emotionally interconnected with one another. And that's then where the love of God is seen in the midst of his body in the earth. That's the miracle. Justin Buzzard says it this way, of all the religions, belief systems, and narratives that are in the world, Christianity says you are made in the image and likeness of God. From the very beginning of creation, God has defined you with two words, very good. So next time you look in the mirror and you go, hmm, very good. Just always remember that. And so we're going to conclude our time together, but I want you to just take one more thing and tuck it in your heart. There is something about reading God's word literally. And what I mean by that is you read it, and you say, Father, this is your word. Teach me the context so that I can apply it properly. So when God says, you shall eat of every tree in the garden except this one, does God literally mean that? He does, because he knows the result if we don't. What does Satan do at the very end of the story? He says this to Adam and Eve. Did, did God... Uh, really say that? Did he say that you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? What's he doing? He's twisting. And then he says an outright lie. You shall surely not die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be just like God. That's the same pattern that we saw in Isaiah, the same pattern we see in Ezekiel, the enemy never changes. The conflict is always the same pattern. And so when he says this, he makes a half-truth and mixes it up to create doubt. And this is the heart of spiritual conflict. We are not alone in the universe, and we must be trained to identify spiritual conflict. And that's why this series will help you to see the contrast between good and evil, beauty and brokenness, an image of God that is wonderful and growing and one that is fractured by sin. And so let's stand together for just a moment. Put your hand over your heart. And Father, we want to be able to tell your story well. We want to be able to begin at the beginning and that you're the creator of heaven and earth. We want to be able to begin at the beginning knowing that we are not just happenstance, but 
we are people created in your image and in your likeness that you have blessed and caused us to be holy in your sight and lord we thank you for married life and how it reflects your divine created order and how we can then see new life come into the earth but father in the midst of all of that which is natural you bring forth spiritual reality for us to be able to know and understand and act upon your word in faith believing with confidence so today lord we say thank you for helping us see the big story of scripture help us to rest in your created order help us to say that our identity is a man of god or a woman of god and that lord we want to live every day now in the truths of your kingdom of righteousness peace and joy and so father we want to affirm that your plans are good and that you are directing and guiding us every single day and because of that lord we have confidence that you're going to touch our eyes to see spiritual conflict you're going to touch our ears to hear it and you're going to touch our hearts to be able to have compassion on the hearts of those that don't know you yet if you're here this morning or you're online and you're watching and you have no relationship with god i want you to know that his hand is reaching out to you because he loves you and he wants you to know that there is a life beyond this life that there is something eternal and he wants you to be a part of it and so he invites you to give your life to him and i encourage you to do that and if you're here today and you say father i really desire to understand in this series how to fight the good fight of faith then know with certainty that God is going to answer that prayer in your heart and life. And so, Father, I bless your people today. I thank you for the privilege of sharing your word. I thank you for what you're going to do in all of us. And may your blessing now rest as we go out in the same way as when we came in. Lord, that you have begun a work in us, and you're going to see that work through to completion, just as you did in creation and just as you did in salvation at the cross. Lord, everything is complete in you, and we trust you today. Thank you for loving us just the way we are, but loving us enough not to leave us the way we are. And everybody said, Amen.